Well, good morning. And I want to be the first to say to you, Merry Christmas in 60 degree weather. I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but when we were in Florida, Christmas in shorts just messed with my mind. But that's just because I grew up in the North. Well, I want to welcome all of you to our new series in Advent as we're preparing for the Christmas season. And I want to welcome all of you who are watching online. Thanks so much for joining us and worshiping with us today. I pray your time was blessed. Debbie and our worship team did an incredible job, didn't they? And so we're very blessed. So last week, I gave you a challenge. And the challenge was, is that on your smartphone that you would put a reminder that each and every day you would send a note of thanks, appreciation, or love to someone who has influenced you in your life. So how many of you have been doing that? I want to encourage you, if you haven't, start today because it will blow your mind as to how it's going to come back to you. I have to admit that I haven't just been doing one. I've been doing two or three or four. And you know, my grandpa always taught me whenever he planted, planted a, a field, he always said a farmer always expects back more than he planted. And every time I've given out a thank you to someone, man, I've gotten all of these thank you backs. And I want you to understand and remember is that thankfulness does something to your heart. It kind of opens the door. And the more we are thankful, the more the Lord will work in and through our hearts. Now, my goal for you is I want you to have a Christmas like none other. I want you to have the best Christmas that you've experienced in a long, long time, and I'm going to show you today through God's Word of how that can happen. But there's no better way to begin it than by starting with a thankful heart. All right, now, I don't want to cause any stress or bring you any anxiety, but Christmas is 27 days away. Yeah, oh my word, yeah. So my question for you is that when you hear me say that, how does that make you feel? Do you feel stressed? Do you feel anxious because of all of the things that you have to do? Or does that make you feel energized? And you're thinking, Christmas is coming, yes! And you're filled with joy and excitement and you can't wait for that day to get here. Well, I just want to remind you that the feeling that you have is based on what's going on in your heart. And what's going on in your heart is closely related to that which you are focused on. Now think about this. If you're thinking about what you all have to do to get ready for Christmas, if you're thinking about the decorating, you're thinking about you gotta get the tree up, you're thinking you gotta get the tree out, you're thinking about all of the ornaments. I wonder if the lights are going to work. You're thinking about all of the baking you have to do. You're thinking about all of the Christmas programs that you have to go to. You're thinking about all of the cleaning you need to do because you, it's your turn to have Christmas this year. And then you're thinking about Pastor Bob expects us to be in the three million services we're having in the month of December, right? And so you're just feeling stressed. Or... Are you thinking about preparing your heart for the coming of the baby Jesus? So here's what I want to ask you this morning. 
are you preparing for celebrating Christmas the holiday? Or are you preparing your heart to celebrate Christmas for what it is, the birth of the Savior of the world who's come into this world to save you and I from our sin? It all depends on where your heart is. All right. How many of you have a smartphone? Would you just raise your hand? And even if you're at home there, you can raise your hand. How many of you have a smartphone? Just raise your hand. Okay, now, I want you to think about this. This is what I found out this week. 80% of all Americans who own a smartphone, within the first 10 to 15 minutes of waking up, check their phone for emails, texts, or news. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you are doing that? Now, I want you to understand something. Psychologists are having a field day with this. You know why? Because psychologists have done study after study after study on this habit, and here's what they have found out. Overwhelmingly, your smartphone, whether it's an iPhone, an Android, or whatever it is, overwhelmingly, your phone brings you stress and anxiety. So think about this. If you're checking your phone within the ter- first 10 or 15 minutes of, from the time you wake up, you are beginning your day with stress and anxiety. You know what that means? That means your day is ruined before it even starts, Right? Now, psychologists tell us that there's an answer to this problem, obviously. Don't do it. But what they tell us, though, is it's important that you replace this bad habit with something that puts your heart in a good place. In other words, you're not starting out with stress and anxiety you're starting out with something that is going to put your heart in a place where you feel good. You know, one of the things they'll tell you you need to do? Make your bed. You know why? Because when you make your bed, it brings you satisfaction. And here's something you need to remember. The way we do one thing is usually the way we do everything. But I have a better idea. And the better idea is this. How about if you feel a need to check your phone in the first 10 or 15 minutes of waking up, how about if you go to Jesus Calling? Or how about if you just go to a Bible app and just read one verse before you, if your feet even hit the ground? I promise you something, you will be changed. But what's better is, What if the first thing you did when you woke up is you sent somebody a text thanking them for the influence that they've had in your life? I promise you, you will be blessed like never before. So here's what we're gonna do today. As we begin the Advent season, our focus is gonna be, what do I have to do with my heart to get it to a place where I celebrate and enjoy the true meaning of Christmas. Are you ready for this? Oh, you sound so excited. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. And I'm gonna read from the book of Isaiah. 
I'm just going to read one verse. It's Isaiah chapter 40, and I'm going to read verse 3. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray, straighten the paths in my heart. Clear the way so that I might understand and enjoy the true meaning of Christmas. A baby has been born. His name is Emmanuel. He is Christ the Lord. And it's in that name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So I got a new mug. It holds the water very well. I'm a little embarrassed because we call these sippy cups at our house. They put a little top of them. I guess that's so that I won't spill. I think they've mistaken me for my wife. No, we won't go there. All right. So as we begin this sermon series, Preparing Our Hearts for Advent, we're going to begin by going all the way back to the beginning. And I'm not talking about the beginning of the Christmas story. I'm talking about going all the way back to the beginning of time. We have to go back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And I want to ask you a couple questions. They're simple questions. And I'd like you to tell me what the answer is because I know you know the answer. The first question is this. On what day did God create man? What day did God create Adam? What? Day six, very good. You're theologians already, okay? On day six, God created Adam. All right, now, the next question is this. So what did God do on day seven? He rested, right? Man, you guys are smart. You should be up here preaching. All right, now, think about this. God creates Adam. It's a perfect world. Adam has the perfect body. And Eve is there, and she has the perfect body. They're in a perfect world. On their first day of life, Adam and Eve come to God, and Adam says to God, what are we going to do today? And God says to him, today, Adam, we're going to rest. Now think about that. Adam's very first day, what are we going to do? And God says, today we're going to rest. But God didn't just say, Adam, we're going to rest. He commanded Adam to rest. You see, the Bible tells us that on the seventh day, God commanded that all of the earth, that all of mankind should have a day of rest. And the reason is because God rested on that day. Now, I want you to understand something. God didn't rest because he was tired. The word rest literally means he ceased from doing. And God tells us, my command is that you are to cease from doing one day out of the week. And then he tells us why. So that you can dedicate that day to me in Shabbat or in worship. That's what that means. All right, now, I'm going to give you the scripture verses, just some of the many that tell us this. And what God said in the garden is still true for today. Take a look at this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had do been doing. 
So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Here's the next one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And here's the last one. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So there you have it. God commanded all of us to rest one day of the week on the seventh day for a time of worship. All right, now, with that in mind, now I want to jump to the passage that we read today. We're in the book of Isaiah. And I just want to tell you that in this time, in Isaiah, you should know this, okay, the children of Israel are in captivity. The temple has been destroyed. Remember, the temple was destroyed in 586 BC, the very first time. The Babylonians have come in and they have destroyed the temple and they have taken the children of Israel into captivity. So when Isaiah is writing this, the children of Israel are in exile. I want to pause for a moment and I want to go back to what we just got finished talking about. Not only did God tell us that we were supposed to rest, But God also told us that every seventh year, the land was to lay fallow. In other words, nothing was to be planted. Now, I hope one of the questions you're asking is, okay, Pastor Bob, if that's true, then how were they to eat? And you know what God's answer to that was? Trust me. You have to trust me. You want to know why the children of Israel are in exile? Because we learn from the Bible that for 490 years, they disobeyed the commandment that they were to rest. Take 490 years, divide it by the seven days that God created, and what do you get? You get 70. And that's how long the children of Israel were in captivity. They were being punished. Why? Because they had been unfaithful to God. All right, now, let's put ourselves in the place of the children of Israel, okay? They're angry. Yeah, they're angry. You know why? Because they think that God has abandoned them. They've been crying out to them. They are defeated, they have no hope, and they're blaming God. And now the people are saying to one another, this is what we get, our God has abandoned us. You ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like God has abandoned you? Maybe you're going through a health issue. Maybe you're going through a business transaction. Maybe you need an answer to a very important decision and you have been praying to God night and day and all it feels like is your prayers are bouncing off the walls. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you're crying out to God, I don't understand. Why did this have to happen? And you hear nothing. I've felt like that before. 
I felt like God has abandoned me. I felt in times that I've been praying to him, trying to figure out what I did wrong, if anything, and my prayers just seemed to be bouncing off the ceilings. And sometimes I get so mad I want to shake my fist at God. Have you ever felt that way before? He can handle it. David felt that way. In fact, look at what David wrote in Psalm chapter 13. Look at this. He goes, how long, Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever felt that way? I want you to look at this next point. Jesus can't be your refuge if you don't hear his call to run to him. I want to say that again. Jesus can't be your refuge if you don't hear his call to run to him. You see, there's a voice that's calling to you. And he's telling you, I want you to come. I've never left you. I want you to think about this. Here's an example for you. Let's say that Pastor George is here this morning, and Pastor George, out of the goodness of his heart, bought us all a plane ticket to go to someplace warm. Wouldn't that be exciting? Let's all say, thank you, Pastor George. Thank you, Pastor George. Okay? What a great guy. That's just the kind of guy he is. I want you to think about something. So we all get packed, and we board the airplane, and we're all excited we're going something warm. And you can choose wherever you want to go where it's warm. Now, let me ask you a question. At that moment in time when you're sitting on the plane, are you thinking about the pilot? When do you think about the pilot? It's called turbulence, right? I mean, I can tell you when I get on the plane, I may look in the cockpit and I just make sure that there's people in there flying the plane, okay? But then what I'm doing is I'm just excited about where I'm going, but all of a sudden there's turbulence. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Who the heck's flying this plane? right? I mean, things are all over the place. People are screaming sometimes. And it's when turbulence comes, that's when we start thinking about the pilot. Now, listen very carefully. The same thing is true about our God. You know when we think about him the most? When we're going through hard times. When we're going through difficult times. When things aren't going the way we think that they're supposed to do, go, that's when we start thinking about God. Now, listen to this point, okay? I hope you agree with me. If you are feeling right now like God has abandoned you, wouldn't you have to admit that you also agree that at some point in time, he was walking with you, right? This means yes, okay, right? If God has abandoned me, then you know what? I'm also saying that I believe that there was a time when God was walking with me. So now here's the question that I need to ask you. So apparently, we also agree that somebody abandoned someone, right? But who is it that abandoned who? Look at what, the, look at what we learn here, okay? The difficulties we go through in life are the very thing that God uses to bring us back to him. You want to know why you're going through difficult times? You want to know one of the reasons why you're going through trials? You want to understand how come sometimes you have to endure pain and suffering? 
is because God is calling you. And God wants your attention focused on him. Now, I know you may be asking. I know I've talked to two families, individuals we're still going through this COVID thing, and they've been intubated. One of them passed away in the services this week. And I look at the pain. I see the tears, and I've seen so many over the last five or six months. And all I can tell them is this, I don't know why this has happened. I don't. I wish I had an answer. I wish I could give you a Bible verse that's going to make it all go away, but I can't. But I can tell you this. God promises that he'll never leave you or forsake you. So if you and I are feeling abandoned, it's not because God has abandoned us. It's because we have turned our backs on him. And you know what I've done with those people in that ICU? Pray read God's word, and sing, and in some cases, even anoint the room. What is that? It's us crying out and calling out to God. And I can tell you in every single situation, God has shown up. And it's in ways that we know because God is so personal, he's come to us and he's reminded us, I know you're going through a difficult time, but you can trust me. My plan is I'm going to use this for a purpose that is way higher than you can think or imagine, but you have to trust me. And every one, every one of those situations, you know what I watch and see and feel? the peace of God which transcends all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Are there tears? Oh, you better believe there are. But there are also smiles. Smiles of knowing that we're not saying goodbye, we're saying see you later. Smiles of knowing that what Jesus did when he came to this earth as a baby, he walked that life for us, going all the way to the cross, dying on the cross, so that at moments like that we can say, I know that my Redeemer lives. All right. So now here comes Isaiah. And Isaiah comes, and the very first thing he does to the people, remember who are in captivity, he gives them a message. And here's this message. But God has not abandoned you, people. That's what he's saying. God has not abandoned you, children of Israel. And then he goes on to say, and he says, in fact, your best days are yet to come. God is coming to save you. Can you imagine how that would feel if you were in captivity? And they get a letter from Isaiah the prophet. Everybody knew who Isaiah was. He was God's man. And when he spoke, it came true. So here they are in captivity. And Isaiah says, God has not abandoned you. He's coming to save you. Even though you rejected him, he's going to remain faithful. And my dear friends in Christ, whom I love dearly, God says the same thing to us. He's telling us, I have not abandoned you. 
And I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you breadcrumbs that are going to prove that I'm walking with you. But he also wants us to know this, central community, your best days are still ahead of you. To each of our lives, he's telling us, your best days are still ahead of you. So here I am, age 35, I know my best days are still ahead of me. That wasn't a joke. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I don't Okay, that's, that's how important this is. All right, now, so in the book of Isaiah, there's 66 chapters. In 1 through 39, Isaiah is talking about those people who are living in his lifetime. In chapters 40 through 66, he's talking about forward-looking. He's looking through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, and he said, this is for those people who are yet to come. In chapters 1 through 39, Jesus is portrayed as a political king. And the emphasis on restoration of the land. But in 40 through 66, Jesus is portrayed as the suffering servant. And his only concern is the rescue of sin. All right, now, I want you to grab a hold of this. And I'll say this slow. I'll say it a couple times, but this is very important. Isaiah is telling all of those people in captivity, and he's telling everybody who is living in this chaotic world today, God comforts his people in difficult times by giving them promises of future blessing. God comforts his afflicted people by giving them promises of future blessing. And you know what? That's what he's saying to us. Now think about this. I use this all the time. I use it with my grandkids. I used it this weekend. I'll say something like this. Layla, if you pick up all the toys in here for Bob-Bob, I'll give you a sucker. It always works. What am I doing? I'm telling her, we can go through this stuff here. We can get through this because there's something better coming. And that's what I want you to know, my dear, dear friends in Christ. And that's what God is saying to us. He's saying, if you knew what I have prepared for you, you couldn't even handle it. You will think that you don't deserve this kind of blessing, and you don't, but I've got it ready for you. This place that I'm preparing for you in heaven, you are just going to fall on your face in awe because I am the ultimate creator and I created it just to your liking. And my friends, that's why during this Christmas season, we can live with smiles on our faces because no matter what's happening in the world, we know what is yet to come. Take a look at this. God tells us, live in the presence, and notice how I spelled presence? Living in his presence, knowing what lies ahead, and what lies ahead is that which is good. All right, we're almost done here, okay? All right, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Here it goes. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Well, what does this mean? Now remember, they're in captivity, they're in bondage. And here's what the prophet Isaiah says to me. He goes, comfort, comfort, that's what God is bringing. In other words, you have no hope, you have no strength. God is saying, he's gonna be your hope, he's gonna be your strength. He's gonna deliver you from the trouble and the anxiety and all of the things that you're going, to, that you're going through. 
That's what he's going to do. And the people are filled with excitement. Now watch this. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and what we just read, here's the important part that I want to hit home on. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. God is telling the people in captivity, and he's telling all of us who live in this world today, here's what he's saying. In the desert of your life, I'm coming to save you. Now, why? Why is he saying desert? Why is he saying wilderness? Two reasons. Number one is, it's the place where he revealed himself to his people, right? The desert. But the second reason is this. It was also the desert where God stripped them of their independence. And God gave them the clothing of dependence totally on him. All right, now, here we go. In the wilderness of our lives, God comes to save us. God comes to meet us, and he's going to give us what we need. But this is also talking about something else. It's talking about something that's going to happen in the future. And if you look at that, it says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Who is that voice? I want you to think about this. In the New Testament, there was one. He was called the forerunner. And he came. What was his job? Prepare the way for the Lord. Who was that? It was John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, his job was to prepare the way for the Lord, to make the path straight. Now, here's the picture that I want you to understand. In these days of Isaiah, whenever a dignitary, like a queen or a king, would travel, they would always take the road that assured safe travel and that they would get there. There was one queen. Her name was Sumaretar, and what she did is she picked a path, but there were hills and there were valleys. You know what she had done? She had all of the hills wiped out. She had all of the valleys filled. Why? So she could walk safely and have an assurance that she would arrive at her destination. That's the picture that we need to have in our heads. Okay, now, John's that guy. John's job was to make a way, prepare the way for the Lord. But here's what I want you to hear. It was more than that. It was also there to prepare a way for God to come to your heart and mine. Listen to what John the Baptist says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness in Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That's what we're talking about in the Old Testament. And so it's true, Isaiah is pointing to that which is coming, the Messiah, and John was the one who was to prepare the way. Well, what does that mean? Look at this. Create a favorable environment or make it easy for Jesus to come to you and operate in your life. That's the goal of what we want to do. We want to create a favorable environment so Jesus can come into your heart and operate through your lives. How do you do that? There's two things that John told us. What's the first one? Repent. 
Thankfulness opens the door. Repentance clears the way. I want you to think about this. Repentance clears the way for God to come and to operate in your heart, just like sin prepares a way for the devil and his demons to operate in your heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why the state of your heart is so important because if you're repenting of your sin, you're clearing the path for Jesus to come in and organize and work through you. But if you're living a life of sin, you're shutting that door and locking it. And the only one who can get in is Satan and his demons. So if we wanna get ready for Christmas, the first thing we have to do to prepare our hearts is repent. That means we confess and we go in a different direction. We repent of our sin. That's attractive to God. And then there's one other thing, and I want to say this again in Proverbs. It says, whoever conceals the sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Here's the next one. You got to redirect your faith. And I'll just make it real simple. You can focus on the trees and what's under the tree, or you can go out into the grand foyer and you can go stand in front of that little replica of the baby Jesus in the, in, the, in the trough, and that's where you can focus your eyes. You have the choice. But I can tell you something. If you take your eyes off the Christmas tree and you keep your eyes focused on that little baby that was born at Bethlehem, I promise you, your life will be changed. If you can do that, you and I will experience a Christmas like none other. 